Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox podcast. And on today's show, wait, it's really good. We have uh, my friend, Dr. Uh, Michelle Seeger, and she's going to be talking about the joy choice and how to finally achieve lasting changes in eating and exercise. And this is what so many people struggle with. They, they, they you know, they have a diet they want to follow or they're, they're going to commit to an exercise plan. And then they just, they fall off the wagon and just throw the towel in and just, you know, drive by their favorite pizza place and they snap and it's all over. And then people just, uh, they don't continue with their plan. And Dr. Seeger has pinpointed that part of this issue is perfectionism. People having this like all or nothing black and white thinking. So Dr. Seeger has come up with, she's written a new book called The Joy Choice, which I love that name. And she talks about, you know, how to make, uh, like anticipate those imperfect choices or how to anticipate uh, falling off the wagon or, or making like the perfect imperfect choices is what she terms it. So she gives a lot of tips and strategies um, in this show and all the, th- all the pitfalls or what she calls traps that are emotional and psychological traps that prevent people from pushing through and carrying through with their health goals. So really, really good show today. And uh, I know you guys listening, you're concerned about toxic, you know, your toxic body burden, uh, heavy metals and chemicals you may be exposed to or in your body, and you want to remove those to be healthier and live a happier, healthier life. So I created a quiz called heavymetalsquiz.com. It's a two minute quiz you can take. You answer a few questions and it will give you your results about your relative level of toxins in your body. So go check that out, heavymetalsquiz.com. And after you take the quiz, you get your results and then you get a free video series that answers all of your most frequently asked questions about how to detox your body. So go check that out. Um, Our guest, Dr. Michelle Seeger, uh, she's a PhD and an MS, she has a master's and she's an award-winning a National Institutes of Health-funded sustainable behavior change researcher at the University of Michigan, and she's a lifestyle coach. And for nearly three decades, uh, she has pioneered methods to create sustainable, healthy behavior change that are being used to boost patient health, employee well-being, and gym membership retention. And as a psychologist who aims to contribute towards societal-level change, Michelle uh, was honored to be named inaugural chair of the United States National Physical Activity Plans Communication Committee and an advisor to the Department of Health and Human Services. And she's also a speaker for the World Health Organization and a director of the University of Michigan's uh, Sports, Health and Activity Research and Policy Center. So she's an advisor to leading global organizations and frequently interviewed um, in major media outlets like the New York Times, NPR, Prevention, Real Simple, and the Wall Street Journal. Michelle is a sought-after speaker and trainer and lives with her husband and son in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So you can learn more about Michelle and her work at michelleseeger.com. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about some of the assumptions about habit formation when it comes to diet and exercise. Yes. Um, So habit formation or forming automatic habits that we don't have to think about is a very popular uh, strategy that we're told. If we can do this, we're going to be golden, right? Let's offload our thinking, no willpower needed. And in theory, it sounds really great. But 
Um, the reality is, is that there are assumptions underlying su successful habit formation that a lot of people don't meet when it comes to healthy eating and exercise. And so, for example, one of them is that we can form automatic habits for any behavior. Actually, you know, let me take a step back. And, and I, I explained that habit formation is this automatic decision that we don't have to think about. Um, but what I want to explain also is that successful habit formation is based on what's called the habit loop. And there's three parts to the habit loop. There's the cue, and I'm going to use flossing as an example. There's the cue, I finish brushing my teeth, and that is the cue that I reach for the floss. And when you do that enough times, supposedly, um, it works for me, but it, I'm not going to assume it works for everyone. Um, you have this association in your brain that you don't even have to think about. You reach for the floss. The third, second part of the loop is the behavior, which is then flossing. And the third part of the loop is some reward, whether it's having a clean mouth or feeling proud of yourself, whatever it is. And the logic goes that when we do this enough, our brain develops this automatic habit, if you will, to floss. So that's kind of the background. And I want to, you know, like I said, I do have a flossing habit and it works for me. But one of the assumptions is that um, automatic habits will work as well for complex behaviors like exercise and healthy eating as it does for simple behaviors like flossing. And it's just not true. If we think about what it takes to floss and where we do it, where do we tend to floss? Bathroom, right? Not a lot of people, not a lot of disruptions, but if we think about where we exercise or our healthy eating practices, it's not just one behavior, right? There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of spaces involved. There's planning involved. There's other people that might get in our way. So all of a sudden, the simple habit loop that might work really well for flossing in the bathroom just kind of falls apart when we get to the more complex behavior. So that is one of the assumptions. Another assumption is that if we have any internal conflict with eating in healthy ways or with exercising, like if we don't like exercising or it feels punishing, or when we try to follow a healthier eating plan, it feels like a should, and we just wanna rebel against it, that these types of things don't actually impact our ability to form automatic habits. But let's go back to that habit loop for a minute. The third part was the reward, right? Some positive experience that we get from it. And if we think, if we impose um, or super um, impose these conflicts that so many of us feel with exercising and eating in healthier ways, well, those aren't very rewarding. And again, the habit loop has trouble holding up under those circumstances. So those are just two examples of some assumptions that underlie successful habit formation that when we take a step back and examine them actually may not hold up for many of us. Well, so how can we set up our brains to form, you know, or like to successfully make better conscious choices? Right. And so that's the, that's the question, because if we can't count on automatic habits to set us up for sustainable success, what can we count on? And, you know, we need the kind of the opposite. 
We need to be able to make conscious choices strategically that work. And so let's, let's again, let's take a step back and think about the scenario. Whenever we initiate a new um, plan for eating or a new exercise routine, we do so with the best of intentions, full of commitment, inspiration, belief that, or hope that this time we're finally going to do it. And then we make our plans, right? But inevitably, something is going to bump up, bump up against those plans, just like, just like they do for habits, they do for conscious choices too. But when it comes to conscious choices, what we can do is we can develop a system that supports the part of our brain that actually is in charge of making conscious choices. And that's referred to as executive functioning. And just for a little context, we're used to thinking about the term executive functioning um, in terms of deficits. So people who have ADHD have deficits in executive functioning, the brain-based system that is, is involved in problem solving and management and planning um, and pivoting when we come up against a conflict or aging um, is a time when also our executive functioning starts to weaken. So those are two life areas where the term executive functioning is used a lot, but we're not used to thinking about it with our healthy eating and exercise choices. But in fact, we use that too for these. So the way we can set ourselves up, up for success is to understand that when our plans are going to go awry because of unexpected conflicts in our day or what I call choice points, we can learn to support our executive functioning just at that time so that we can make better choices. Um, so that's kind of a global answer, but not too specific. Where is the real place of power for lifelong healthy habit sustainability? Well, let's go back to what, so let's look at what you asked. You're talking about lifelong sustainability, which is forever in a way, right? That's one way. But another way to think about it is um, if I want to stick with a behavior for life, if I want to sustain it, that means I'm on a path. And if you think about being on a path, you take a step now and now and now and now and now and now. So what determines whether we stick with lasting changes are the choices we make in the moment. And so the place of power for lasting change is, the ch is our choices or are the choices we make when our plans aren't gonna work out. Because typically when we make a plan, what really gets us off the path of lasting change are our plans getting derailed. And typically we've been taught to get to that place of conflict. Again, I call them a choice point because it's a point of opportunity. It's a place of power. But typically we've been taught to think about this place. Oh no, I can't do what I hope to do. I can't get to the gym to do that class. I can't fulfill my eating plan for lunch. And what we tend to do is we tend to bring all or nothing thinking to this moment this moment of choice, this choice point. And so we go, we can't do it all. So we do nothing. And that is just a lose, lose, lose. So what we need to do is learn how to successfully and strategically navigate 
these choice points. So at each now, 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 and now, even when a now is about to get derailed, we have the strategy and belief system to successfully do something now, even if it's not the perfect plan that we had in place. Yeah. I think there are so many people out there that have tried to do a diet or, you know, tried to start an exercise plan and they just have a moment of weakness and they cave, they have some fast food or they have some cake or whatever it is. And then just, just throw away their diet plan just because they failed once and made an imperfect choice. And that is the norm. That is, it's not the exception. It's the rule. It's what most people do. And that is why I wrote the book because we need a new paradigm for thinking about these choice points, you know, and these opportunities to navigate and negotiate. Again, we haven't been taught to do that. We've been taught to think of, I can't do, I can't do it right. I can't hit the bullseye. I fail. Bummer. I'm a failure. I suck. I self-sabotaged. And that just keeps us in a cycle where we start and stop. It's a vicious cycle of failure. It does not it does not get us on the path of lasting change. So why does making an imperfect choice beat out trying to stick to like your perfect plan or one's intended plan? That's the question. And um, there's a lot to say, but to answer that with healthy eating and exercise, I want to first step outside of this arena and, and think about how do we do this in other areas of our life? So let's, let's use our kids and eating, for example. We make this perfect meal for our families and gosh darn it, our kid refuses to eat the very healthy vegetables that we cook that we know are good for them, that we expect them to eat. We wanna make sure that they grow and get the nourishment they need. While if we brought all or nothing thinking to um, our feeding our children, if they wouldn't eat the vegetable, we would take away the whole meal or we would starve them for a week. We don't do that. Let's use another example. We have a dentist appointment and the day before the office calls and needs to reschedule our appointment. We don't fire our dentist or feel like failures because we can't have the appointment that we had expected to have and that we need. But when it comes to eating and exercise, we tend to bring this, this very limiting, narrow, black and white, all or nothing thinking that is actually a cognitive distortion. But despite it being this official category of cognitive distortion, it is what most of us have been socialized to do in society. It's not our fault. So that's kind of the background to your question. So let's, let's like fast forward into a new world, a new story of behavior change where we do stick with it and where we don't um, let the all or nothing dragon get in our way. We, instead of the all or nothing dragging, what we do is we make what I call the joy choice. And why is it called the joy choice? It's the perfect, imperfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing. It's the antidote to all or nothing thinking. And people might think, well, that's not good enough. Something isn't good enough. It's failing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create a bad habit for me if I let myself not do the perfect plan. But there's a couple of answers to that. Number one, for decades, 
everyone's been trying not to do that, to, to hit the, the bullseye. People have been trying to hit the bullseye and make the perfect plan. And guess what? Most of us can't achieve it. And it's not just us who've seen this fail, the strategy fail. It's our clinicians. It's organizations we work for. It doesn't work for most people. For a, a few people, it does. But for most people, it doesn't. The second response to that is to the concern that something is going to set me up you know, for not doing what I need to do. Research actually shows when it comes to eating and exercise that aiming for the imperfect, perfect choice is actually a better strategy than trying to hit the bullseye. So there was a study um, with a weight loss registry and they followed people over a year and they wanted to see were the people who tried to stick to their eating plan on the weekends more likely to maintain the weight they lose or the people who came at it more flexibly with what's called flexible restraint. So if someone hands you French fries, maybe you eat five. You don't try to not eat any and then rebel against it and eat the whole thing, right? And research shows that having this more flexible restraint actually led to a, a better ability to sustain weight loss. And the same thing has been shown with exercise. So. And it, this is the long way of getting to your answer. In every other area of our life, we have to do the perfect and perfect. It's just the way life works, right? So we need to do the same thing with eating and exercise because life is always going to throw curveballs. And if our eating and exercise plans can't ebb and flow and we can't slice and dice them like we do our parenting and our friending and our working and our daughtering or sunning, we won't be able to stick with it. Yeah. And I've had this issue like with exercise. See, I always had this thing. If I can't exercise for an hour, I don't bother because I felt like I don't really get right. enough exercise if I don't do it for a whole hour. When in reality, if I just went for a walk for 20 minutes, if that's all I have time for that day, that's at least doing something that's better than nothing. But for so long, I never allowed myself that I just wouldn't work out if I couldn't do the hour. And so do you do the 20 minute walk now? I do. Well, I, you know, I just, I wake up and the first thing I do is exercise. So there's nothing that gets in the way of it. Like and, it's just so, the first thing I do. I found that just the, for me is how I'm able to successfully and, work out, you know, three or four or five times a week. Just the first thing I do, I don't think about anything else. It's just what I'm doing. And that is a strategy that works for some people. And in fact, that's what my husband does. And he's a habiter and he's someone who has a successful exercise habit. He sleeps in his exercise clothes so that he doesn't have to think. <laughs> so amazing. he doesn't have to think. <laughs> some, I want to make sure, and what you're pointing at is a really important thing to feature. And that is people are different. Everyone needs different things. And the most important thing is that we each know what works and what doesn't work for us. The problem is, and my critique of the old story of behavior change is that this, we've, been, we've been read and told a singular story of behavior change that is just based in all or nothing thinking and the need for willpower. And um assumption-based strategies that many people can't meet, like we should be putting our healthy eating and exercise on autopilot. Um, we So 
in addition to understanding what we each need, we need to know that for those of us who haven't succeeded to this point, and that's the vast majority of the population around the world, we have been taught to make these changes in our eating and exercise in ways that set most of us up for failure. So we have to understand that the system doesn't work for most of us. I think when people are creating habits, when they're you know setting goals and things like that, they need to have a certain motivation or like a goal or a purpose. Like, so what is the most sustainable purpose or primary motivation for intentional eating and exercise for weight loss? So that, that that's the challenge because research and decades of experience show that if you are trying to change your eating and exercise more to lose weight, that purpose for those behavior changes for most people is going to put, it's going to contaminate our motivation. It's going to create unstable, unsustainable, low quality motivation. So what we need to do, and this is a hard task. Um, I've been working with people for decades through my health coaching with this, but my research also speaks to this too, that I've done um, in my academic research. And what we need to do to shift behaviors from feeling like a chore to a gift, which is what they feel like if we're using them to, if we feel deprived, if we feel that we're not good enough, and that's why we're trying to change our behaviors, we need to shift from a future logical, especially weight loss goal and reason for doing these behaviors to trying to feel our best right now, to try to feel our best so that we function as well as we can during the day. So we feel as well and happy as much as we can. And so we know that when we eat in healthier ways, more fruits and vegetables, there's associations with better mood, with reduced stress, with reduced depression, and anxiety, with improved energy. We know when we moved our, when we move our bodies, we reduce our risk factors for depression and anxiety. We actually reduce our symptomatology. If we are depressed and anxious, we know that we have more energy. We know that we are more creative and we focus better. Um, exercise is a, is, is a, a known evidence-based strategy to improve our executive functioning. So what we want to do is we want to start to shift thinking about eating and exercise away from weight loss as counterintuitive as that is to vehicles for well-being in our day. Yeah, I totally identify that because whenever I have just felt like I need to punish myself to lose weight, which I think can, people can have that mentality. You're just not as motivated. You're, you set yourself up for failure. Even, you know, it's very easy to get discouraged if you fall off the wagon, but like for right now, my goal is just, I just want to be fit and healthy. And I just considered exercise. This is my lifestyle. This is just what I do. This is how I live my life. I just wake up and I exercise. That's what I do. And I don't think of it as, uh, I, I want to lose weight, of course, but I've kind of shifted away from wanting to focus on the scale and one of the results on the scale to, this is just my lifestyle. Yes. This is just what I do. And research shows that focusing on process instead of outcome is really important. So, I mean, I want to ask you, let's say for whatever reason you can't exercise first thing in the morning and it's a beautiful day outside. Would you 
give yourself permission and say to yourself, you know what? 20 minutes is better than nothing at all today. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely do that uh, now than when I, in the past, I just wouldn't even bother. And I do, if I can't do it in the morning, for some reason I do, sometimes I'll take a break and go do it because, uh, you know, just cause I, I feel good. I feel good when I do that exercise in the sun or go for a walk or something, even though it's not like a really heavy workout, 20 yes. minutes is, it feels good. No, that's great. I, I, you know, because that's, you know, that's the new mantra is that something is better than nothing and helping people truly believe that is really the task at hand today. And so when people do fall off the wagon and they, they have these unanticipated hiccups, like how, how can people stay motivated? Is it possible to stay motivated and consistent despite this? That's what we want to think about them as hiccups. We want to think about them. If our, if we have a motivation that's truly driving us, like this is just part of my lifestyle. This is how I take care of myself. This is who I am. Those types of motives are such drivers that, um, they connect to our values. They connect to our sense of identity. So that on the days when there's a hiccup, it's a hiccup. If there's a week where there's a hiccup, it's a week where there's a hiccup. We have our whole life to do this. And so, you know, a lot of times people look at professionals, you know, who talk about this stuff as doing it right all the time. People might assume I get my exercise plan right every time because I'm a professional. I'm a psychologist. You know, this is my field. But guess what? I don't. And what what keeps me going is having a motivation that is really about like the same thing that you said. It's it's who I am. It's what I do. And when things are super busy, like my, my new book, The Joy Choice, which recently launched, that I've had so many interviews. I've, I've been traveling um, so much and it has impacted my ability to do my ideal walk. That's my primary exercise is to walk outside. And you know what? It's not a big deal. One night, um, with my family, I, we were taking a walk outside and my very astute son, and this was like six weeks ago, I think he said to me, it was after dinner. We were taking a walk around the block, not a long walk. He said, mom, is this a joy choice for you? And of course <laughs> he knew that, you know, my suggestion to take a walk after dinner wasn't what I typically did, but it was a way for me to get something in instead of nothing. And it made me feel it made I, like you said, you feel better. And so what we want to do, the way you stay motivated, number one is truly to have a high quality motivator, like the kinds that we're talking about. And if people don't have it, if your listeners don't have it, I talk about that in my book. Um, it's very important for us to have the right motivators. The second thing is reframing that, you know, the, the hiccups hiccups is actually a fine word, but it's just, the ebb and flow, the slicing and dicing of, of life, like every other area, we have to remind ourselves. And of course, that's what I developed the pop decision tool to do too. So I don't know if it's too soon to go there, but I developed a decision tool to help people think through this. So they have the right frames on it that will lead them to make the most strategic choices and stay motivated. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Okay. So earlier in the conversation, we talked about how we could support our brain's self-management system, what's called executive functioning. And so I designed the POP decision tool to do that. So here's how it works in the new story of behavior change. 
We anticipate, we assume our plans are going to go awry. We don't assume things are going to go perfectly all the time. For those of us who the perfect doesn't work for, which is the majority of people. With that assumption, when it happens, we are ready for the strategy that's going to support our executive functions. Our plan can't work. So instead of letting life burst our bubble and everything go down the drain, we pop our plan. So there's this metaphorical action where we are taking charge instead of letting life burst our bubble. So we imagine our plan as a bubble. Then pop isn't just a metaphorical action where we go, I'm popping this bubble. No, it stands for an acronym, which is the steps we need to go through to think about this in a, in a strategic, tactical way. So what do we do? We can't your plan in the morning isn't going to work out. I don't know why. Can you come up? Tell me something that maybe would get in the way. Yeah, I'm um, just like, I hurt my back. Okay. So you woke up and all of a sudden your back hurts and you're like, oh, geez, I can't do what I had planned to do because I know it's going to exacerbate my back. Now, pain is a little bit differently, a little different because there are extra constraints, but let's just go with that. So you're like, I could either do nothing because my back hurts or right now, or, or I could pop the plan that I had. And what does that mean? Well, we pause, we pause and we go, okay, let me just take a couple of deep breaths. And, oh, there's all or nothing staring me down. That's one of the decision traps that we might have time to talk about. There's perfection staring me down. I'm, I'm going to name it to tame it. That's a strategy that Dan Siegel um, says helps our brain take back control helps us focus our attention. Then we go on to the second part of pop, which is the O. That's open up our options and play. Well, in this step, we're not evaluating good and bad options. We're just saying, well, what else could I do right now? Could you stretch? What else could I do today? Could I take a walk outside? A lot of times taking a walk outside helps back pain. You have to know what's gonna work for you. So you generate some options. When could I do it? What else could I do? What activity? How long? Maybe five minutes instead of the hour you had planned would have been good for your back. So we generate options and we come at it with curiosity because curiosity is a positive emotion that generates expansive creative thinking, which is what we need in the second step. And then the third part of POP is the second P, which is pick the joy choice. And if you remember from talking about it before, the joy choice is the perfect, imperfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing. And what that does is it helps us stay consistent. And, you know, consistency affirms that, you know, how you said, this is just who I am. This is what I do. This is part of my lifestyle. So we continuously reaffirm that value and sense of identity. Also research on the physiology of exercise shows that the benefits disappear quickly after we do it. So the consistency is what keeps getting us the benefits that we know are derived from exercise. So we pop our plan and we pick the joy choice and we stay on the path of lasting change. Yes. And, and so you, you mentioned when we were talking before the show that there are, there are traps that people can fall into. So there's four primary emotional and psychological traps that people fall into again and again when trying to sustain you know, lasting eating and, and exercise habits. Can you tell us what those are? Yes. 
So what I've found is that there's the four traps, the first one, and by the way, trap is another acronym. Why am I using acronyms? Well, thankfully the traps actually are an acronym, but acronyms support our executive functioning. They support our working memory, which can only work with one or two pieces of information at the same time. So if we wanna support optimal decision-making um, at these choice points when we're facing a challenge, we need to have easy to remember terms that are precise and get us thinking in the most strategic and tactical way. So let's talk about the first trap, temptation. Who doesn't resonate with that notion of feeling tempted to not go exercise and get on the couch with our remote or to succumb to the seduction of that glistening piece of chocolate cake across the room that our friend is bringing over to us? So temptation is not addiction. That's a different issue that, you know, that needs its own solution that we're not talking about. We're just talking about this visceral pull to do the opposite of what we had actually wanted and planned to do. And what the mistake people make by no fault of their own is that we think that what's tempting us is the couch or the cake. But the emerging theory and research shows that what's tempting us are not those things, actually. It's our memories of our past with those things. And once we understand that, we can say, oh, there's temptation. And I think it's the cake, but actually it's the last time I had the cake and the fun family gathering and the, the feelings of connection I had when I was, you know, having this cake for my son's birthday party. So noticing that isn't just a more precise understanding of what's actually going on when we feel tempted, but when we bring our prefrontal cortex online, when we start thinking about things, we actually um, offset the emotional reaction that's in our amygdala part of our brain. So that's temptation. The second big uh, decision trap I see in my clients is rebellion. And we kind of talked about this already. We talked about when you are changing your eating or getting on a restrictive diet to try to lose weight, we feel controlled by the diet rules. We feel resentful when we're at a party and we can't have that glistening cake. But actually, it's not just, this is where rebellion and perfection come together because we bring all or nothing thinking into the situation. So it's like, I can't have any of the cake. And what we usually do is rebel against that all or nothing thinking and we have it all in five more pieces, right? Because we're in a reactionary, like <laughs> screw you diet. You're not going to tell me what to do. Right. And so that's rebellion. Accommodation is the third trap decision trap. And this is when we always, not sometimes when we always subsume our own self-care needs for the needs of others, so or our work. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, I was doing a talk at a healthcare system, and I'd been hired by this leader. And after my talk was over, of course, I made all kinds of assumptions. He had seen me talk before. He knew what I talked about. So I assumed he was a regular exerciser. He took really good care of himself. He pulled me aside at the end of my talk, and he confessed to me. He said, Michelle, I've got to tell you something. I don't give myself permission to exercise in our new club that's free. 
And, but when I do decide to go, I try to hide behind the pillar so that no one sees that I'm choosing exercise over my work. That is one version of accommodation where he accommodate, he was accommodating his need for exercise most of the time for his work-related needs. Now, if we always do that, we're never going to take care of ourselves, right? So that's one version of accommodation. There's others related to eating too. And then the fourth and final decision trap is what we've talked about a lot already, which is perfection and feeling like we have to hit a bullseye. Like if you, if you can't do your morning exercise in exactly the way that you plan and want to do, You chuck everything out the window, you feel like a failure, and then you stop because you're unmotivated. So perfection sets the stage really for all of the other ones to be worse than they need to be. Yeah. And so you have a quiz you created about the, these decision traps that people face. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So if people are curious about which of the four decision traps are most likely getting in their way. And with some tips about what to do, there's a free quiz on my website, which is my name, michelleseeger.com. And it's on the homepage and the Joy Choice book page where they can just take it and figure out, oh, this is what's getting in my way. I'm currently working with people in these new ideas. And when people think about these issues, these decision traps, they they develop a new awareness. And again, precision is key. And once people understand, oh, I'm planning to eat this thing that I actually don't even want to eat because I feel like I need to fulfill the caring needs of my friend who's offering it to me. Once you can really know what's going on, then you're able to name it. Oh, there's accommodation. And that doesn't have to get in my way. What I Then from there, we can start popping, right? We can start opening up our options. Well, maybe I want to take some of the cake because I do want to taste it. And I do want my friend to know that I'm willing to taste it, but I'm just only going to take two bites or something like that. We need to expand our options and through knowing again, what is really getting in our way and being able to name it, that gives us cognitive control over it so we can develop the most adaptive tactic to address it. So where do we get the quiz again? What's the name of your website again? It's michelleseeger.com. So S-E-G-A-R.com. Yes. Perfect. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show. And that, that was so helpful. There's so many kind of insights there and tips to help people, you know, create this lasting change that everyone wants. I mean, so many people have problems sticking to diet, sticking to exercise plans. And so really helpful tips to help people to, to stay on track. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning into the Myers Detox podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. And every week I bring you the world's experts to help you, you know, get on track with your health and stay on track because you deserve to feel good. And I like doing, I love doing the show to help you kind of make those distinctions that you need to make to create the, the healthy, lasting change that you want. So thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. 
This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.